So, welcome to Podcast 1980X number 25 for the week of April, what is today, 2nd, 3rd? April. April 3rd. I'm Sean, that's Ray. This week, uh, we're going to go ahead and do the typical what we've been playing for the first half and the second half. We will be uh, putting in the first installment of a three-part uh, tribute, recap, whatever, history lesson into the world of SNK and, by extension, the Neo Geo system in particular. And uh, this week we're going to be covering the history of that company and the rather sordid past that it's had uh, more concretely for like the last 20 years, even though it's a uh, it's almost a 40-year-old company now at this point. Well, 30. So, uh, yeah. But uh, since we we last spoke, I've uh, I've gone through quite a few different games, or at least beaten a few. Uh, I wrapped up Fable Two, beat that game. That's uh, a game. Kind of a letdown on the ending because there really wasn't one so much. Uh, kind of pulled the old missed ending. You're free to roam the island. Yeah, it did that, Great. and there there wasn't really With nothing I mean, to the, do. It's kind of weird that they spend they have they craft a story of. Uh, betrayal and revenge and all this stuff centering around the the death of your your sister at the beginning of the game and uh, at the end you basically just walk up a flight of stairs and, and activate an item that you're given and the game's over did you turn the power off several times so you could get all those achievements? I went ahead and did that Great. to make sure I got those achievements because I, I, I'll never I'm not playing that game again you'll forever be times. ahead of me in that game then let alone three times but uh, I was just pretty let down that they they chalk up this this guy, this bad guy, for the whole game, and you don't actually ever fight him, like in any capacity, with the combat system. Which, to the game's compliment, I guess, uh, that combat only gets more fun the more powerful you get. Uh, and I only wish it had more of a loot whoring aspect to it, so that I'd have reason to basically spend more time in that world. Fighting and using con and, and like using magic and weapons and stuff. I liked the fact that you didn't have to fight the boss at the end. Yeah. I didn't want to fight anyone at the end of that game. <laughs> I was I was over it. So yeah, that's a. Uh, I've already talked about the the various pros and cons of that game, but uh, overall I had a pretty good experience with it. Just kind of let down that the ending was just kind of an uh, didn't really happen. It just basically sticks you back on the yeah. island and you're ready to go. Stupidly enough, I, uh, in my quest to do as much as possible in that game, I'm at 980 out of 1,000 achievements on that game. And the last two that I don't have are uh, Godforsaken co-op achievements, one of them, and a collection achievement that requires you to be friends with many people who have the game and have pursued the same items that you have. Uh. So I got that going for me, which is great. I beat Deadly Premonition and then proceeded to beat it a second time already. Uh, because once you cut out all the cutscenes in that game and you don't do any of the side missions 
save for the ones that make the game easier, it goes from being 22 hours to 6. So I managed to blow through that a, a second time. Um, that game's basically a Dreamcast game that never came out. Really. Yeah. And especially toward the end, uh, with what happens. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd really spoil it or anything, but just how the, it goes off into a really like Japanese sci-fi direction. And I guess, I mean, take that how you will. But how instead is of like, uh, instead of like aliens and ghosts and the more typical fairy you'd see in like a, a a Western sci-fi setting, it's like demons and ancient rituals and like weird creatures that having have existed for hundreds or thousands of years possessing people kind of thing is it is it more japanese i don't know i kind of associate that with japanese for some reason and it could just be that the 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 not final well the final boss the final boss and the next to last boss their actual character design are very japanese like the next to last boss basically assumes a form that's like the uh the tengu demon from dead or alive Huh. Looks really similar. And yeah, just, that's especially weird because the game is um, otherwise steeped in like American, I guess yeah. you'd say aesthetics or yeah. lore. Yeah, it's definitely got a. We- it's definitely got like David Lynch, Stephen King, sort of horror to it. That's not like necessarily gross monsters or like witches or werewolves, but just like a disturbing sort of darkness to the evil that's in that game. Little Sutter Kane. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. So, yeah, that game gets real weird at the end. Not that it wasn't weird to start with, but it just goes off in a really weird direction that I didn't expect it. Uh, but I love it all the more because it just reminds me of, like, awkward Dreamcast games that sort of tried to overstep their bounds in terms of what they could really accomplish. Like, uh... Like Machin X or, like, Illbleed. Boy, I would or, really... I would really play Machin X again. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Sure. Yeah. What if they dropped it on Xbox Live? Buy it. I'd buy, buy it a second. <laughs> buy it wow, second. that'd be great. So, but just the, that that kind of game that is where a you, good can, idea. you can tell where they're, what they're going for, but due to the limitation of the technology, as with Dreamcast, or due to purposely, purposely emulating limited technology, as is the case with Deadly Premonition, perhaps, just games that, like, shoot for the moon and don't get quite that far, but endear themselves to you because you can tell what they're trying for. So, yeah, and then I'll probably slog through it a third time to get the uh, the full thousand on it and be, like, one of three people in the world who have done it. So, that happened. <laughs> uh, those games happen. Those games happen. What else am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting something. and I. Uh, just Cause... That's that a terrible there game. Was one other thing I wanted to cover was a smaller game, but I cannot for the life of me remember what the hell I was going to talk about. Well, that's bad. Do Just Cause first, because I don't hate that game so far, and oh, you I hate wanna... it. Yeah, yeah, it looks it looks miserable. So I got Just Cause uh, in my 360, not right now, but I got it yesterday. I, I actually started it. playing it yesterday, and I put a couple, maybe three, four hours into it, and. Uh, it's interesting because Ray is going to talk about a game that is, uh, for all intents and purposes, pretty Japanese in its mechanics. Maybe not so much in its design, visually. But uh, we were having a conversation online about how 
Western games seem to be moving toward um, a lack of rules, or basically just like a you know the sandbox mentality of like presenting you with the world, and then presenting you with a million different things you can do in that world. Well, that or you. I mean, you're right when you said that, but. When I originally said it, I was thinking that I was thinking more along the lines of an Uncharted or God of War three. Kind of oh, a game, really? kind of a game that's more cinematic than anything. That doesn't lay down a lot of ground rules on mechanics or things. Right, just... and it's sort of just kind of, I mean, really, Uncharted coddles you the entire way sure. through the game, and uh, you know that's great. It's a it's a better experience for it. But as we said many podcasts ago. It's less of a game and more of a an experience or a ride, I guess you'd say. Sure, it's more of like the what would what uh, you know the like the laser interactive and and the the M2 were gonna supposedly deliver, where it was like a blending of movies and games. Yeah, whereas Japanese games, as you were saying, or Eastern games, are more uh, they're moving in the direction of uh, the easiest way to or the the way I would simplify it is to say they're making their games like more and more complex tabletop games. Sure. Like it seems like there's more and more abstractions introduced to their games and more rule sets mm-hmm. and and just rules in general to uh, they they force the gamer to remember and that they don't really stay. There's no general design rules in that entire. F- area of development of game development yeah whereas a lot of westerners basically look at you know the last big game that sold a lot copy some of the mechanics add some of their own and create a better product the japanese almost it feels like they they restart the design process with every game and it's like they're they're searching for some sort of penultimate design and set of design systems and rules within a game that are going to just be, you know, better than the rest, um, with the exception of games that are direct sequels like Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the other, that's the other interesting point that you made that it's like every they tend to Japanese tend to approach games as though no other games exist. Yeah, they throw everything out. But I guess the the knowledge that comes as a side effect of having played previous games obviously comes into play, but they don't directly try to improve upon no. previous mechanics. No. If anything, they're mutations of mechanics. Right. <laughs> you know. I would well, yeah, and it seems to be like a weird sense of pride that the more that they can like obscure the influences of a mechanic, the better they they feel that they've done a better job that they've done. Where it's like you can't even tell. Yeah. You can't tell that it's based on something else because the the concept there is just so out there. So. So just but, cause two. But in so comparison. just cause two. Com- in that example is like the. I would like the ultimate example of a Western developed game. Because there is. I mean, there's there there's so many things pulled from other games. Just Cause one being one of them, so obviously that's going to be play in there. But yeah, there's just a complete lack of I don't know, just like an overarching thing going on because the game is just so enormously big in scale and in concept and in mechanic. It's just freedom, right? 
it is freedom, but it's sort of like like you were saying that the bases in that game are all as compared to like Red Faction and Guerrilla, which is a, a smaller game in scale, but obviously a very similar experience. Uh, a lot of the bases in Red Faction Guerrilla seem tailor-made to the experience that you'll have inside of it. Yeah, like each base is a is a, is a world or a right. level in and of itself that in, you have to work through. Right, and you'll remember, <clears throat> when you think back on that game, you'll remember how you took down certain bases. Sure, certain like there bases. are two or three bases that I distinctly remember towards the end of the game. They were interesting to play through. Right. They right. weren't just, as you said earlier, something that looked sort of procedurally designed. Right. And a lot of the bases, and even like the settlements too in, in Just Cause 2, are basically like the game developer specified to the game engine, this is where a town goes, or this is where a base goes, and the engine, however they programmed it, fills in from a requisite, you know, from like a tool set of like, so many houses, so many gas tanks, or so many this, that, and the other. Right. So it's just, it's like, it is absolute freedom, but at the same time, it's like, it's freedom in a world that, if you look at it closer than, I guess if you look at it closer, period, and you don't just sort of like gloss over the fact, or gloss over it, it falls apart really fast. The island to me is representative <laughs> of that as well. I mean, and that it's it's really cool and it's huge, and uh, there are lots of towns in it. Yeah. But if you didn't have that checklist of towns and things to do in them, the island just isn't very interesting to me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's 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 not necessarily procedurally generated, but it's uh, has the appearance of almost being so. It Which, looks like what? What was the? Uh, was it True Space? What was the old rendering program that just rendered landscapes for Windows? Oh, um, well, there was. Uh, I think it was True Space. Oh God, it, that might have been one. The one I remember using directly was like Bryce 3D. There's Bryce. That's Bryce is a big one. Or yeah, um, yeah I don't remember that other one. But I know what you're talking. Yeah, I don't remember the name of it. Which is cool. I mean, the game looks gorgeous. Don't get me wrong. And but the like you were playing earlier and we came across uh, a club that was flo <laughs> floating in the sky on some zeppelins and that was probably the coolest thing I've seen in the game because it's totally unrealistic and just steps steps it up design wise in other words I think the reason both of us were drawn to that idea in the game was because the rest of the game is so bland in like a yeah. really weird way and I haven't uh, I haven't I had this weird thought when I was playing it, even last night. Before, even before I turned the game on, uh, I was thinking about how a lot of times you'll tell me about a game you've played, and like Red Faction, for instance, and you aren't playing it with sound on. You have you're not even reading, let alone listening to these like communiques that no, are happening in the game. Totally. You're not picking up any of the story. No. Because all you're trying to do is just like exploit the game mechanics and like break the world and everything. Right. And achieve the laundry list of things that it's asking me to do for achievement points. Right. And I had this feeling before I turned on uh, Just Cause 2. I was like, you know, I, I I really don't give a shit about the story of this game at all. Slightest. The demo only helps confirm that. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of weird that you can't skip certain of the lengthier cutscenes in Just Cause 2. Almost like they knew people would just be like start 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 get to the get to the part where i get to like ramp a motorcycle off a fire truck and parachute into the sky well don't you think the design choices are weird in that game 
with in terms of the like voice acting and, and story um, like I don't understand uh, if it was the thing that was you know a translation something that was lost in translation because I think it was a Swedish group that did it and yeah, they, I think Avalanche is Swedish and they didn't really know I don't know what a, what a Hispanic or a Latino person sounds like realistically and they just really sort of used a an, an exaggerated like Antonio Banderas voice like I, I don't understand or I or the, the uh, many people have commented on how goofy the accents on the island from the islanders are. That it's it's a mishmash that doesn't sound Polynesian or Asian or Russian. It sounds like a like all three of those mixed yeah. into one jumbled jumble sounding mess. Well, I don't know if it's um, I don't know if it's on purpose or if it's because, like you said, they just don't know. Or if they like, they went for like a, a design or a style, and they just kind of failed at it because they didn't do a good job. But or they there, went for something totally unreal. There's you know some, what I mean? Yeah. But there's something kind of. Um, it's like they went for like a really hammy action movie, but they, they, they like overdid it. I guess you could say. Yeah. Because the voice acting is terrible. The story is terrible. It's, I mean, terrible, like, just not memorable at all in the right. slightest. And, uh, it's, I don't know, it's just really weird because it's, it's, it's almost like studied bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not even like we tried and failed bad. Right, no, it's that's like, what I'm saying. It's almost purposeful. Look, yeah, it's really strange. And it's really disappointing because you look at a game like Crackdown, which is like the progenitor of all of these free-roaming Look at look what we can do with physics games. Yeah, and that game has the most bare bones story. We've already kind of discussed it. That game has a really bare bones story, but what or what they chose to even produce for that story or that world works so well because it's unobtrusive, but it's so characteristic, I guess. Like the like the agency announcer. Yeah, no, that's what I totally like. I couldn't tell you. You know, a paragraph. I couldn't describe a paragraph's worth of Crackdown One story, yeah. but I would describe the ending as one of the most surprising endings in video game history. Right. When the agency announcer reveals that you've been like a puppet the whole right. time. Right. Right. That you know, and it's weird because I that was another game where 30 hours into it, I had been playing for on mute, right. listening to podcasts. <laughs> so when it happened, I was just I was stunned at how much I cared. Right. Yeah, the, uh, I, I don't know, I just can't, when you go talk to, like, one of these faction leaders or whatever in, in Just Cause 2, and they're just like, Welcome to Island of Banao! We are here for the freedom of our people! Yeah, why is this necessary? And, you, and they're switching, like, accent three times. Yeah. It's like, the script is bad, the character, if the character Scorpio didn't talk, the game would be improved already. Right. But unfortunately, he talks. He says really stupidly written things. The game succeeds just so much in uh, while well, you play the game. Right. And I guess people would say, well, you don't play that game for the story. Well, no shit. But when you cho- when you force me to watch it, obviously the developer thinks, this is important, and as a player, you should see this. Kind of. Yeah, thing. why even include it? When your game is, is so much more fun, capable, and better looking right. in the actual gameplay moments. Right. It's one of those games it's just that, weird. that people that people like to throw out emergent 
because it's like it's like a make your own fun thing. Well, it's weird. It's like story elements in video games are just left around from when uh, the CG cutscenes were like, or cut. Never mind. Let me change what I just said. Cutscenes are left over from when cutscenes were the rewards right. in video games. Right. And now it's it's to the point where the technology and gameplay has evolved so much that the cutscenes are are painful to watch and they're <laughs> a, a detraction from the entire game experience and unless they're interactive in some way should really totally be moved altogether removed altogether. Yeah. Or unless they're directed well and produced well enough to the point that they can justify their existence. Right. Which this doesn't or no. can't. <clears throat> and the um, mechanic-wise, that game is is pretty solid. The only problem is is that for as big as the world is, the controls are, are just as large and convoluted where you know buttons will do different things depending on the context. And the context of what you're doing changes by the second. Whether you're you're you got the parachute open, or you're running on the ground, or you're driving a vehicle, or you're standing on top of a vehicle, this, that, the other. Uh, and that game would be improved significantly with either the addition of a cover system, or with a better targeting system, like a sticky targeting, because it's impossible to hit anybody yeah. while on the run. It's really just not really that possible. Plus, the heat system out. is kind of archaic already. The heat system is, yeah, they basically, it's just they couldn't call it wanted level. Right. So they had to call it heat system. Um, and that's a that's another thing that a lot of people have talked about, so I won't I'm gonna cover it very briefly. It's just, it's real, it's cheap. I mean, it's kind of like Red Faction cheap, where soldiers are coming from nowhere, because the game engine is just spitting out a bunch of spawn points for yeah. enemies to come at you. Um, but I guess once you kind of figure out that maybe the developers don't didn't want you to take on all of these enemies directly, and they, more or less it's more about like sneaking around, and when you get into trouble you just sort of zip line away, open your parachute, and like basically you can like circumvent the entire base within about three seconds. Right. And if that's how they want you to play, I suppose that's it. But yeah, it's good. It's a good game. It's it's good for a rental, I suppose, or good for a game fly. I don't know that I'd ever I'd recommend anybody to buy it. Well, I mean, the real test is to check your gamer score in like a week. Well, see how yeah, much for achievement the hunters, game. the game will be a dream. It will it or a nightmare? Well, I, mean, I guess if you really get cliche, into the, well, it depends on I guess if you really like getting achievements or you just like having gamer score, because the game really breaks up the achievements in a simultaneously intelligent fashion and in a really irritating fashion because all all they really are are kill X enemy or kill enemies with this gun or this uh, mechanic basically yeah a lot of them are which I kind of like and I don't like at the same time because it's if you have a chosen way to play the game that's fun for you yeah and when an achievement forces you to, to not do that basically yeah. and force you to do things that one, you don't think are very fun, and two, are just difficult inside of the game engine, period. Right. Then it becomes a humongous hassle and a headache. But I do kind of like how they've broken them up. I mean, they're they're intelligently broken up, I guess, because it's, like, for doing races, but it's not for, like, 100%ing races. It's just do it. Yeah. Or, or challenges or whatever they're called in the game. But, uh, yeah. Like you commented while you were watching me playing it, 
you have a feeling that Crackdown 2 will probably be a so smaller game in scope, uh, but it will probably more than likely be more fun. Which is the, the exact opposite of what we thought when we saw the Just Cause 2 trailers. Right. Right. Exactly. So, and I hope, I mean, hopefully that's the case because I'm not, I'm not too hot on Crackdown 2. I am. Yeah? Yeah, I've watched a lot of videos and, and it's, <laughs> it seems really good. <laughs> Boy, how the tables have turned. I hope so. But, speaking of Just Cause 2, a game that's nothing like it would be Resonance of Fate. That's a great transition. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this for a while. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah, Resonance of Fate's what I've been playing, and it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, hey, maybe I can say some things on this podcast that are somewhat descriptive and intelligent and informative about the game because so far in every podcast that I've listened to people have been for some reason unable to describe the game in any way. <laughs> that game's pretty confusing. That's yeah, about all I've gotten out of it. That's about all I've gotten out of it and there's nothing else that I can say about it. But <laughs> I, <coughs> luckily I can say a lot more about it. Uh, just how helpful or interesting the things that I'm about to say are going to be <laughs> to some people is another story but some observations I made on that game are that aesthetically, the game is like <clears throat> an exact mix between Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII, which yeah. is kind of why I probably like the game so much, because both of those games I liked, having liked seven more. Um, what it takes from seven is sort of the Midgarian aesthetics of living under a... What do they call it? A pizza? Oh, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, <clears throat> the whole game, for those who don't know, uh, takes place in a world map that is uh, basically like a board game and is reflective of the world itself, which is actually just a really large tower in the sky where humanity has been forced to retreat to to survive. And so when you're exploring the world map, you're really just moving a marker piece around like you would on a Monopoly board, and that's supposed to be uh, representative of your character. And uh, the world basically needs to be uncovered or unlocked piece by piece through items that you get um, as a prize from fighting. So within the game, there sort of becomes this metagame that is unlocking the world itself. Uh, making, I mean, that ends up being the exploration mm. of the game. Which makes a lot more sense to me than having um, a 3D world map that's just there for the sake of being there. Right. That is really no fun to walk around or explore. Right. Because there's nothing interesting there. Well, you might as well turn, or it's an intelligent choice to make going from point A to point B into a game itself. Right, exactly. Um, I'm sure there's a way to do that in 3D. It's just probably much more complicated. <laughs> and, you know, and probably costs a lot more. So this basically boils down the actual exploration to a board game, which is more fun. Um, other than that, the game is sort of structured like Monster Hunter, um, which I'm probably sure was done because Monster Hunter is so popular in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of have a guild and a bestiary and missions that you take on piece by piece. Some are just fetch quest missions. They require you to talk to a person in a town and, and bring an item to someone else in another town elsewhere in the world for a prize. Um, other missions are 
you know, clear the bridge of or open up the rainy bridge. Right. Which basically means get into a fight on the bridge and kill the enemies. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, open up the power station. Uh, open up the po power station and restart the turbines, which basically boils down to going to the power station and getting in a fight and beating the guys up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the story itself is told in a really piecemeal, like jarring way. Um, I have not even paid any attention to it. I don't know what's going on. I haven't watched the opening cinematic that plays before the game starts, <laughs> and I haven't watched any cinematics or cinemas that occur during the actual course of the game. So my knowledge of the game and the game world is really only built around what I know from the NPCs and talking to them. Yeah. And so far it's made for a more interesting experience. I would and say it probably actually makes it more interesting. Yeah, because I know less of the undoubtedly stupid plot. <clears throat> um, you know, the plot actually might be good. I, I don't mean to short sell this game because so far there hasn't been anything too annoyingly Japanese about this game. Yeah. Other than the battle system itself, which is really fun and interesting, but is, like everyone has said, impossible to grasp via the tutorials in-game. In fact, if you go on the internet and try and learn about the tutorial system there on various message boards, you'll find that sentiment echoed across the board. Yeah. Um, basically, it's something that needs to be seen to be believed. But if you know anyone with this game and you want to see uh, the most perfect example of things being lost in translation or a bad localization job or just bad direction in a game go play through the tutorials of this game and come back and talk to me and try and explain to me how the game works after just playing the tutorials um, it's almost turned learning the game into a game within itself <laughs> that takes place outside of the actual game on the internet <laughs> which I don't know it's kind of cool, yep. because the system's so in-depth, the only reason that I'm playing this game is to experience it. Like I said, I don't really care about the plot. In that way, it reminds me a lot of, like, in Advanced Wars, where you can, like, put the game down, and whenever you feel an itch for that sort of strategy gameplay, yeah, you can get back, which is exactly the kind of role-playing game that I like at the moment. Yeah. I really have no desire to experience a plot that takes 40 hours to understand. Yeah. Seems like it's... Uh, well, I shouldn't say that because I haven't played either game. I've watched Resident Evil Fate and I've heard about Final Fantasy XIII. But it feels like, you know, thirteen is still sort of the old guard type of RPG. Or maybe it's not. But from the way people describe it, they, they make it seem like it's a huge departure. Because it's just like forward, 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 forward for right. 20 hours. But to me, that's kind of how I feel like a lot of old RPGs were. They've right? always been like that. That's, yeah, that's the same thing that everyone's been arguing against those people who've been saying that. Yeah. Is that, you know, veiled exploration is not exploration. Sure. You're still being guided. And I think the only difference... The only, the only difference now is that maybe Square is just putting a huge... a heavy focus on just progression and taking a lot of these this fake, explore, fake exploration out of the game. Yeah. Because they maybe they just wanted to go for a more refined experience. And it, I guess it kind of backfired on them if so many people are upset with it. Well, it makes sense to me when they say that they're trying to make it more like 
Call of Duty. Sure. You know, it's it's just like one set piece to the next. Yeah. A guided experience all yeah. the way through. I mean, well, you can get into and then you can get into really esoteric discussions of like, well, what is it? What is a role playing game? It's playing a role and. Why, what does exploration have to do with really playing a role? All you're really doing is just guiding a character through a series of set pieces, blah, 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 blah. But, um, yeah, from on the outset, watching you play that game and watching some of the videos, uh, there's just something really intriguing about that game, and it would it's almost entirely the combat system. Yeah. Like, looking at that Well, the world, world is pretty interesting, too, man. The, the world is interesting, but I'm not... I'm not... What, having watched those videos, I'm not interested at all to learn what the story of that No, not is. the story. I'd just rather just pretend like I'm just another like denizen of this of this tower. Yeah, exactly. And, like, doing my own thing. Exactly. Every hex on that board that we were walking on. Yeah. Um, that you can possibly get into random fights on. Uh, you know, they all have different. It's not like one battlefield. Mm-hmm. They all have different um, architecture and styling. So depending on where you are, the uh, battlefields look totally different. I don't know if you knew that. So Oh no. The city actually does kind of have an identity buried underneath that board game aesthetic that you actually explore on. But you only get to see it when you're in the fights, which is kind of interesting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I kind of It's kind of hard to explain. When I was looking at the board, um, when I was watching you move around it, it seemed like some tiles had like a different texture to it. Sure, yeah, exactly. But they all kind of I guess kind of meshed together, where it was like, oh, it's like a generic sort of brick metal look. Right. But then some of them had like a different brick metal look. Yeah. And I assumed, I mean, I didn't ask you about it, cause I just made the assumption, that there was a reason for that, and I'm sure at some point it, it that bears itself out, and I guess it's the combat. Yeah, exactly. So the, the, the combat, which I, I'm not going to try and describe or anything, but I'll just mention something that I really haven't heard too many people talk about, was the fact that... Uh, there's a lot of I don't know the playing field is each battle is dependent a lot on the playing field and the objects within mm -hmm. and that's something that I haven't heard people talk about is the fact that there are like tiered levels with platforms and with barriers and with guards that you can use to take cover um, it's just really interesting that in the middle of the fight you have to actually control your characters jumping yeah <clears throat> yeah see that to wasn't a certain level it wasn't apparent to me until you told me you were actually doing it i thought it was just sort of a, a canned i'm going to jump process kind yeah. of thing no but, it's just it's really strange but the fact that you do makes it that much more appealing to me to play yeah it's definitely one of the more involved uh turn-based combat systems i've ever seen uh you to be really functional or to be really good at it you really need to actually have a lot of... Well, you really need to enjoy Twitch gameplay, I think, is the best way to say it. Which yeah. is why when you read a lot of... There was an article, I think it was on Silicon Era, or, or it was on Destructoid, one of the two, where they were going through the Amazon Japan mm -hmm. reviews of this game and just basically translating them yeah. to see what the Japanese people thought about this game and... and you know, a lot of them even were saying, you know, this game is difficult, And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that has to do with that necessity or that Twitch gameplay requirement, 
where a lot of people who may be RPG gamers in Japan don't necessarily enjoy Twitch gameplay and aren't familiar with it and don't have the skills necessary. Well, they're used to 20 years of pressing X. Yeah. Well, they also play shmups, but I mean, like, it's a, it's a, it's a distinction between genres. Like, yeah. That's probably why we like this game more than most RPGs is because it's required so much more reflex yeah. as opposed to strategy. Sure. You know what I mean? And, uh... But yeah, it's a really interesting game, and I got it from Gamefly. Uh, it's, it's probably going to be the case where I'm going to send it back and purchase it when it gets cheap, and I'll just gradually beat that game over the course of probably the next like two years. <laughs> you know, kind of the yeah. same way that I like approach Advanced Wars. Sure. Like I was saying earlier, um, it's a really interesting game though. It's 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 definitely worth checking out for a lot of people. Just kind of. It seems like one of those games that you would play, and maybe you get to a certain point where you feel like you've had your fill of what that game is offering. Right. And you'd send it back, or you'd trade it in, or whatever, and then like a year later, you'd have this insanely bizarre desire to play it. Yeah, luckily enough, though, what's interesting, and you didn't really get a good taste for it or flavor of it because we only played a couple of battles, but every battle is extremely different. So, that's why I liken it so much to Advance Wars, because... Every battle, at least every major battle, needs to be taken. The approach needs to be taken from a different perspective, right? Because of all the objects or enemy types, or there's just a lot of focus put on each encounter, which is really interesting to me. And the only reason that I can see myself playing it far into the future. So that's a game too. So plus, uh, plus you can um, real quick. Uh, what do you call it? Customize your characters. That's pretty in depth. Have you gotten into that at all? Yeah, like the first thing I did was change the main character's hair color. <laughs> I don't know why, it's just to, to further uh, move him away from Nolan North, probably. Yeah. Which is ter terrible, the fact that Nolan is said anyone in this game. It's the only terrible thing in the game <laughs> is the fact that he has a part in it. It's yeah. gotten to the point now, man, where I'm sorry, but I cannot, any game that I hear his voice in in the future, Sony or Naughty Dog or whoever should basically just hire him on to be Nathan Drake from now on, and that's it. Yeah. Because if I hear him in another game before I hear him in the next doing, Uncharted doing, doing anything, doing Drake. yeah, I can't, I can't stand it, man. It's it's to the point it's where it's, it's 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 you know it's sad like because to his credit, he does a lot of voices where you don't know it's him, and he's a really good voice actor. <laughs> yeah. People have talked about this before. People ask him to do Nathan Drake when yeah. he goes in there, and that's fine. But I'm telling. For any, anyone from any game company who's listening to this, I'm not going to purchase games with him in it anymore. Sorry if I'm ruining his life. <laughs> but I'm just I'm terribly over his voice, man. I can't... How can you take a Japanese version of Ian Malcolm seriously when he has Nolan North's voice every time you beat... every time you uh, achieve victory in a battle? Like, it's really... <laughs> he does look like Ian Malcolm. No, he is a Japanese Ian Malcolm, the main character. <laughs> but... Yeah. I don't know. I just—it's—it's—it's yeah. it's, it's to the point where it's—it's it's jarring now every time I hear it. It's—it's it's, rarely does something become that. I don't know. Something like that become that. Yeah, in a video game. Yeah. This is the first time that I've—I've I've been repelled by a person by a voice actor in a video game. That's really The—the um, one thing I wanted to ask, and I guess I could ask. The customization aspect of the weapons. Yeah. Is it? Is there's it? There's also that. 
Is there, <laughs> is there, uh, do the different, like, there's two different kinds of damage, which we can't get into, but, uh, is there a difference between, like, the different kinds, like, are there different models of pistol, and it's like, this pistol works this way, this one works this way? Well, there's different weapons, and those, the, there's different guns, and those different guns will do different damage based on the model of gun. Okay. So you're basically doing, you know, you upgrade your pistol to the next model of pistol and you can do more damage. Yeah. And to further, to do more damage per model, you can purchase customizable parts, like grips and laser sights and uh, silencers, whatever you want to do. This, um, I, I'm, I, I say oh man because everything you describe about the combat is yeah no it's, it's it's really cool and I've barely gotten into the customizable thing like probably the reason that my main character Vash is leveling up so much faster than the rest is because his is the only gun that I've thus far uh, put any money into in terms of customizing it with special options and I totally forgot about that aspect of the game because oh, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to master the actual combat for so long. Yeah. You know, and in turn, he's been dealing out so much more damage and leveling up twice as fast as everyone else. So I'm guessing now that we talk about it that that customization option for the weapons is pretty integral to being good at the game. It seems like every aspect of the game is integral, integral to succeeding in the game other than the costuming, <laughs> which is kind of daunting to anyone who may be listening They're not that bad. It's beat the game. Although I guess maybe I've never really, I've never played an RPG of the traditional sense of the so I don't know what the achievements Yeah, no man, it's it's, it's beat the game. Um, basically beat the game. You know there are chapters in the game. Right. Um, I forget how many, but let's just for the sake of this discussion say 15. So once you move through a chapter, all of the missions that were available from the guild during that chapter disappear. Basically, one of the only achievement that seems like it might be kind of daunting is defeat every mission. Uh, so before you progress per chapter, you have to go out of your way. You have to go out of your way to get every mission done in that chapter, or else it's never available again. And then you have to beat the game again. So you beat the game twice. But the second time through, you can play it with all the stuff that you have on a, on a normal setting still. So you don't have to like progress to a more difficult setting. Yeah, no, there is. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 done really. What's weird is like that comment to me is so appealing to me. I would probably go out of my way to do this. Oh yeah. Some of the missions aren't combat based, but I haven't avoided a mission yet. Just to do more of that crazy flipping, jumping, and like finally getting that. There'll be there'll be that one moment, that one battle where like it probably turns over for you, and you realize like how best to exploit it. Yeah. Within like 10 seconds of seeing the playing field. Yeah. Yeah, that looks really appealing. It really does. I, it's <laughs> also needs to be said that the game looks amazing. I, I think it's really good. I think the game looks ridiculously good. Weirdly that you said that it actually looked better on your standard def television than uh, my high def one. And it does. But I can see why, because a lot of those uh, harsh lines. Yeah. When, all, when a lot of your art consists of a lot of crisscrossing lines and like shadows overlaying with other shadows. Right. And, like, really weird angles going on, uh, the high def probably makes, makes it 
stand out too much. But yeah. Yeah. And like I was saying to you, for some reason, when those animations go into effect in battle, for some reason, it looks like a pre-rendered clip. Yeah, it looks that good. Like, and it's no. weird that my brain and my brain keeps saying this can't be because they're doing something different every time. Right, exactly. So unless they're like a bank of like four hundred clips per character. And you're playing it as it happens. Right. right. So Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Also I think we should uh, we played that arcado. Oh Pixel? Pixel. Hey, what's the i I'm complaining now because this is my soapbox, but Arcado, why don't you make games on the actual Xbox marketplace? Or um, make them available for PC because your games are so good in so many in direction and yeah. general aesthetics and design and everything that I want to give you money but I don't want to do it through Microsoft because like we've said before you cannot play indie games when you're not plugged into Microsoft service yeah. regardless of what system you bought them on yeah. so I refuse to purchase any more indie games until that's either fixed or well until or it's fixed or their materials on another platform. Yeah, I'd like I'd like them to see because they're doing it as a series. Right. I'd like to see them release the whole thing. Right. Right. Yeah, God, like an I anthology wish. Pack, yeah. That'd be great. Eventually, or just I don't know. Have somebody with more money than them apparently invest some money into them. So I they know. Can put out a full, a full effort. So Arcado did Big Bang Mini on the DS and um, Jump. Jump, Swap, and now the third uh, release in their arcade series is uh, Pixel. And Pixel, I, you're like a... It looks kind of like... The graphics are the graphics are nicer than this. And if you want to see a good... There's a video on our page actually from a long time ago. but uh, Otherwise, YouTube it. Uh, the graphics look really cool, but the aesthetic that they're going for is a really simple... It almost looks like... Do you remember the PS... The PSX memory card slash virtual, or I guess I could just say VMU. The VMU or the. Uh, yeah, what was the PS1 call? This is ridiculous. How do I not know this? I don't know. I just remember it was. Uh, I just remember we never sold any. Oh. They were in the glass <laughs> case. I don't remember what it was. Called. I don't remember what the hell it was called, but I remember it was like it had a weird, uh, uh, like marketing synergy. Yeah, it did, didn't it? Chocobo something. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the hell happened. We should really know this, but... It's really bad. I never bought one. That's probably why I don't know what the hell it's called. Anyway, the, the graphics look like that. Really simple, almost like they want, like they were black and white pixel. Yeah. Based from an uh, LCD screen display. Yeah, it has that like dual layer effect where it's like... You can right. see the pixel behind the like actual lit pixel part right. of it. Like it's casting a shadow. So it's really cool. It's basically just like a platformer, and the uh, the gimmick in this game, because there's not really a gimmick, but a mechanic in most of their games. It's pretty interesting. Mm. And this one is that um, you can solve puzzles or get through environmental obstacles or find power-ups basically by using a magnifying glass yeah. while you're playing the game to. Yeah zoom into any of the environments and find basically hidden pixels. Yeah. So basically how it works is you know you'll be going through the game and well you'll probably describe it better. You go for it. Well what happens is is there are certain uh squ like squared off areas or pixels or whatever bricks in the world. Tiles. Tiles, yeah. There you go. That's a good one. Um that when you you hover over them using your magnifying tool or magnifying glass tool 
uh, and you hit A, you go inside of that tile and like investigate it, basically like a Easter egg hunt, where you're, I guess, cursoring, mousing over mousing through the actual like pixel the actual maze. pixels that make up the tile graphic and one of the individual pixels in that tile graphic is basically the one you're looking for to open the exit or you discover a treasure chest and it gives your health back or it in the, the one case we saw in the demo I highlighted a point between two like logs and once I found the individual pixel inside of that log tile of where they were meeting I could then cut it and then the top lock fell over and I could advance further into the level. And uh, it's just really interesting because it's just like layered. Visually it's layered because it's like you go from the game world, zoom into the tile, and then you're like looking at the tile in a very square by square thing. And then when you go into that, there's like an animation that plays that sort of like visually goes further into the, the pixel you selected. Right. And it's really weird. It's just like a weird... Yeah, and I mean, like all their games thus far, the music is really amazing. I think it's really catchy. It's and um, visually, it's just kind of the way it's written is real cheesy, sort of 16, 18-bit platform, but it's written cleverly. Right. For how Self- little they're writing. Yeah, self-aware, and I don't know. There's just there's like a really peaceful. I guess the best way to say it is there's a certain feeling or emotion that that those that genre or that those games evoke those games from my past evoke like NES games and Super Nintendo games and they don't necessarily emulate that emulate the games but they evoke those emotions more than like or better than any developer using like whatever they do for the music it just ends up reminding you more so of those games than they could themselves. It's sort yeah. of a weird hyper real way, but Oh, I remember what it was. Uh Game Room. For like just a minute. Oh yeah, Game Room. Yeah, uh, Game Room. Did you check it out? I think Game Room I, I think Game Room's really interesting if if uh, you know Oh that's terrible. Once um once they get some Neo Geo games on there, which they undoubtedly will in my eyes. Or once they get some interesting games on there, I think it's really interesting, and it's it's kind of like its own little MMO within the Xbox Live service, which is uh, an interesting way to get people addicted to it. It's it's interesting. It's 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 one of those things where I think it's uh, it's it's creatively done. It's an interesting idea, and it's executed very well. I just don't necessarily know that I'm the person that it's that's gonna get addicted to it. Yeah, I guess that was probably. I can't tell if it's aimed at people older than me or younger than me, or if I'm just not of the personality type to use it in service. I would say, what would you think, older or younger, if you had to choose? Um, I'd say younger, just because I think they're hoping for... I would say they probably think younger, but by that same token, I would say more people who are probably older, or people who are just more into continuing to play older games... It are the people who are sinking money into it because I don't see your average 14 year old really getting into game room. And I could be wrong. I, yeah. mean, I can always be wrong. But just from my exposure to youth culture of today, 
<laughs> I don't feel as old as it sounds to say. What a remove. <laughs> That's really I funny sounding. I don't, use I don't use, like, Twitter, man. I don't get into all this stuff. I'm, like, such a dad now. It's terrible. I just don't feel like the attitudes and mindset of that generation will get into playing these older games. Because I feel like that they'll just come off as thinking that they're limited and not worth their time. Or they'll know how to emulate them for free. Or they'll already have them for free or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So... Yeah, but then the MMO aspect of it seems to appeal to that generation. That's definitely... Which is what's weird. That's definitely... And what's also weird is that it, they... Obviously, the people who worked on this took a great deal of time to study what made the arcade culture so... such a big part of people's lives back then. Yeah. From the fact that you can have the ambient arcade noise turned on while you're playing the games to that one of the default rooms you get is an 80s themed room. Yeah. That's probably one of my favorite parts of the whole thing was just looking at like the way that they depicted what an 80s themed arcade room would look yeah. like. And then like the various little items they chose to include as the decorations for your for your various rooms inside of your arcade. Uh, so obviously people spend a great deal of time of like parsing down iconic things to include. But I don't know. I guess I just feel like the majority of people who are younger than me, like significantly so, teenagers or uh -huh. teens, are just really impatient. And I feel like the games in game room do not reward impatient people. Does that make sense? Like I just don't feel like. But I guess that's why games. they. I guess that's why they had to. I mean, that's why they had to construct the entire the whole challenge mode thing. But I guess that, and I guess the way it's dressed. I guess dressing it up in the uh, game room aesthetic and that whole big, like the whole like PlayStation Home aspect of it. Of like, I can kit out my arcade with the items that I want to see, and <sighs> the different rooms I want to have, and that kind of stuff. How much do you want to? Well, how much do you want to bet that? Game Room is going to be on the next iteration of the Zune. Hmm. I guarantee it will, because I hmm. I, I think I they're going to think about that at all. I think they're going to use this Game Room. Well, they've already you know it's already on Windows. Yeah. But I think they're going to try and spread it across all the platforms to be like the emulation service, because you know emulation can't really be ignored anymore. Yeah. And no one's going to pay anymore for these discs that are, you know, yeah. 40 games with three really good games and, and oh, 37 yeah, like really shitty games. Oh, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's time that the publishers and the... They just acknowledge the power of emulators. and It seems to me that Microsoft just kind of wants to turn this into its uh, emulation solution. Their because these games are so yeah, and these games right now can be run on pretty much anything, and they already are. You know, there was that phone. I forget what phone it was, but that was just recently advertised on TV, and one of the um, one of the things they advertised it as being able to do was play Super Nintendo games. Really? Yeah, and they got sued for it. Oh. And they had to. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, so like that's I think going to be a bigger thing. Yeah. Coming up. Yeah. soon enough. Well, what's weird, I guess uh, I, I feel like what might happen is that instead of emulating older games, developers, there will be developers who develop games specifically to run 
at a similar level of technology as the Super Nintendo or the Nintendo. Yeah, no. But that are new properties. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But the whole purpose, I think, of this is to get it across all systems so that... Yeah. Because, to me, when Microsoft used to be talking about its Xbox Live being on all its Zooms and... You know, you could be unlocking achievements for Geometry Wars while you're going around oh, yeah, with live, your their live anywhere concept. Yeah, that conceptually it's interesting, but I don't think they'll be able to pull it off anytime soon. But this, because it's a lot, this is a lot more technologically feasible. Sure. But still retains the addictive qualities of the live anywhere possibility. Sure. So I just think that like you'll probably see this on Zoom soon, and then. Uh, Window, maybe Windows mobile devices. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about that as it being more of like a platform or like a service as opposed to, I don't know. Like if they just keep updating, you know, the achievement list, <laughs> which is not something they could not, it's not something that they... Not out of the realm of possibility for right. them to do. Yeah. I would say, yeah, I mean, my biggest real, my biggest real complaint that I can justify is that there just isn't anything on it right now that I want to play. But it's... And as soon as they put like Salamander or Gradius, or anything like that, I'll probably go ahead and do it just for stupidity's sake. Yeah. But is it... But we, if you, I mean, if you get the game, like if you got Salamander, yeah. and you challenged me to a score at Salamander and I didn't have Salamander, yeah. I would still get the challenge. Yeah. And that's probably the most brilliant aspect of the system. <laughs> because that's basically saying... We're going to get an entire group of people to pay for our games and then advertise those games to everyone else, to every one of their friends. Right. Because you can go us. to your friends' arcades and play the games they bought using your Using your, your tokens. tokens yeah. Right. So challenges, you know, aren't dependent on you owning the game. So it's basically constant. You're constantly, depending on how many friends you have and depending on, on how into it they are, yeah. you might constantly be getting inundated with challenges that are basically advertisements to purchase these other games. Yeah. You know, and people are going to be doing the challenges because they're going to want the achievements. Right. So, it, so it's sort of like we're going to jerk you off with achievements, and in turn, we're going to give you these, you know, invisible achievement points, and you're going to market for us to all, all your right. friends. That was the thing. The the sort of smart. thing that came across to me to be a genius smart. is they're finally they found a way to take old games and make and assign them achievements because the achievements aren't based on specific games. Yeah. So it's like if you tell somebody, hey, we you can play Gradius, they'll say, no big deal. But you say, you can play Gradius and earn achievements for doing it, they'll they'll pay the three bucks. Right. I'll pay the three bucks. I'm not admitting it. So, yeah, good on Microsoft, I guess, for once again finding new ways to addict people to meaningless points. <laughs> right. And spending their money for them. This is a great hobby.
やつらが帰ってきたスーパーリアルアクション芸人ゆうこの件2 SNK This week, like our、uh, award-winning Schmups special, several awards that that、uh, people had absolutely no problems with. <laughs> This week, we're going to shine a spotlight on a company that is—I don't know—unique, I suppose. I don't know what you would say. They just have a special place in video gaming, I guess.、Uh, at least they do for me. And that is SNK, most notably known for their、uh, Neo Geo arcade slash home system, and for the myriad fighting game contributions they've made、uh, to gaming. And、uh, I think was he 78? So they just turned 30 not too long ago. And the Neo system actually turns 20 this year. Pretty crazy to think about,、uh, <laughs> and they actually started out as、uh, they were an arcade developer、uh, formed in, in 1978, and their first two titles that they're that they wait a minute, any- Sean. What does SNK stand for? Oh, I guess we could do that for completion. SNK <laughs> stands for Shin Nihon Kikaku, which is、uh, in Japanese New Japan Project. So absolutely、uh, no description whatsoever as to what they do. That's like starting、uh, a book report with. Webster's Dictionary defines capitalism as yeah, yeah. So continuing the fine Japanese tradition of having game companies named after、uh, obscenely vague ideas, <laughs> like uh, uh, I can't even remember what what. Oh, that's so bad. I was gonna say Capcom, but I forget what the hell it was for. That's really bad. Um, I know it's a truncation of something. Uh, SNK actually went by Shin Nihon Kikaku for. Number of years in the 80s, they actually didn't become incorporated as SNK to like the late 80s, I believe, mid to late.、Uh, the two games that they they put out that they were given recognition for, I guess first,、uh, would be Ozma Wars and、um, oh god, I'm gonna forget the other one. Interesting.、Uh, <laughs> Vanguard? No, that was in 81. Ozma Wars and、um, cut this part out. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. The two titles they、uh, they put out, they were first really given recognition for was Ozma Wars and Safari Rally. Both、and、great games that I've never played. Really. I have no idea what they're like. And、uh, after that, they put out a, a game called Vanguard, which、uh, we didn't talk about on the Shmups podcast, but is regarded as a precursor to the the horizontal shmup. Uh, types of like radius and, and R type and things like that, 
and uh, in, the, in the mid 80s they put out a a good smattering of games a, a lot of arcade titles and toward the end of the the decade they started uh, a relationship with Nintendo to both port some of their arcade titles to the system and to develop uh, one-of-a-kind properties uh, for the platform. Two that I actually remember that I know that I've played would be Athena and uh, Crystallis, the, the RPG. I don't know. If, did you ever play those two? I might get a psychologist's office. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've never, you know what, I've never played either of those two either. Hmm. I think it's interesting to see where our history, our personal history with SNK started. So, well, yours, I know, yours I started it, there. I played, I played Athena, I played it since becoming more educated about SNK and, oh. and having owned a Neo. But Crystallis, I did play when I was young on the Nintendo. Uh, and I probably couldn't tell you a whole lot concrete about it because it's it's a role-playing game and I didn't really cotton to that genre when I, I was wasn't that, interested, yeah. that little. Uh, so it was pretty confusing to me. But I do remember I do remember playing it and I remember it being kind of unique in my mind. Uh, I just, obviously being as young as I was, I didn't associate developers or anything with the games they produced. But really, if you're going to have a discussion about SNK, the first ten years of the company's existence, you really don't even have to, to cover. I mean, yeah, they were around. But they really ha came into recognition for their development of their uh, proprietary arcade hardware and format uh, called the MVS, which stands for Multi-Video System. Uh, and what SNK was proposing is not having dedicated boards that an arcade operator would have to switch out of a machine every time they wanted to have a different game, but instead would adopt, much like the home systems, a cartridge format uh, and a multiple cartridge format where the operator could essentially own one cabinet that could run up to six games if you had the, the six-slot model. And in order to change those games out, all you were really required to do was open the system up, pull a cartridge out, put a new cartridge in, change the marquee, change the uh, the button layout, or change the uh, you know the card, the uh, logo card, the placard in the display, and you had a brand new game. And to arcade owners, this was huge because instead of having to yank out these games that they paid eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand dollars for, they could have multiple games in one location and end up you know having two thousand dollars worth of games in one in one spot. Not too long after uh, SNK announced their MVS format, they they uh, made plans to adopt it for home use. And now, did you know that SNK wasn't the first company to come out with that multi-cartridge format? That I didn't know. I didn't know that either until recently. Who was uh, who? Who? Data East. Really? Yeah. Apparently, Data East had a cassette system that ran off cassettes, oh. like data cassettes. But. Functionally, it, it wasn't successful because it wasn't... MVS are by no means solid state, but they're more solid state than a tape. Sure. Uh, and, you know, the wear and tear of the loading on the cassettes ended up being the problem. Yeah. The main problem with Data East stuff. And that was a long time before the MVS, but... Yeah, the MVS was, was pretty unique and, and the first... Technically, not the first, but generally considered the first and really only of its kind. Yeah, that is also true. I do remember, um, I remember seeing the the iconic red Neo Geo cabs in in arcades, and probably more so just like pizza joints in this. Yeah, to most arcades. definitely. And that's that was, I guess, you know, ref indicative of the fact that the games were cheaper. Right. And uh, 
I yeah, guess for, that gave them a stronger foothold. Sure, for as a business standpoint, I mean, you see, you put one machine in the back, but it plays four games. Exactly. It's going to appeal to anybody who's trying to save money on operating a successful business. Now, real quick, did you play any SNK games on Nintendo when you were little, or any SNK games when you were little? Like, was there any SNK influence in your life before you stumbled back into the company? Just, I mean, like, Crystallis, but, like, I didn't know, like I said, I didn't play that game to completion, and I didn't really know that that was them. Um, but did you like it, or did you just, like, casually? I remember, I remember liking it, I just remember being, I'd, I'd rather play, oh gosh, what was that, 87? So I was playing Punch-Out, and Castlevanias, and Contras, and stuff like that. Mario's. Stuff that was more uh, immediately satisfying than an RPG I had to sink a lot of time into. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, my first real introduction into, like, what I would consider SNK games would be, like, when, like, playing World Heroes on the Genesis. Yeah. For me. So, port, like, like the port like that, that's interesting. My first war wasn't, a, like, I, I, th I think it was actually Prisoners of War. Did you ever play that game? No. God, it was this old no. Nintendo game that, like, I, I don't know how I got. I think someone left it at my house. Yeah. You know how that happens sometimes? Yeah. yeah. Not that you stole the games, but you really always wanted your friends to leave it at your house. Yeah. And then you would purposely never hang out with them again so they could never get the chance to get the game back. <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is how I think I came to own that game. But it's like Double Dragon. Kind of. Okay. And I guess in the arcade, it's a, uh, a two-player game, but the NES was only one player. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it's a side-scrolling beat-em-up where you can grab guns and... Uh, blow people away and it was just like a, a more mature uh double dragon i never enjoyed double dragon as a kid or ever actually because of that game because prisoners of war was like way more in depth to me yeah and uh it was way more graphic and way more violent and then i guess the only other thing i played was i really played a lot of akari warriors one time while on vacation in a in a laundry room of the hotel we were staying at because right. it was the only game they had. Right, I think I think probably about the first time I ever saw the, the red MVS cabinet was probably like at a Holiday Inn on vacation, like a similar situation. And other than Gradius, Ikari Warriors was really one of the only to piss me off enough to the point where I wanted to complete it. Yeah. Just for the sake of conquering it. That was really one of the only one of the first games that ever did that to me. So, I guess I was exposed to them that way. But like like you said, I had no concept of, no understanding of the concept of SNK or anything that they were responsible for, outside of that stuff. Up until EGM magazine, and I know this is the same for you with magazines. Yeah. Uh, the magazine presence for SNK in the early 90s, at about the time they released the MVS and the AES to coincide with it, was yeah. pretty thick. Yeah, I do I do remember, even if I don't remember, I, even at the time I don't remember associating it with like a another company that had a console to play. I do remember the, the like, the hot dog ad. I remember the dog. The big, the, you know, the, the big bulldog face. Yeah. I do specifically remember seeing the the hot dog where it was like comparing uh, the Genesis and the Nintendo to just like a plain hot dog, and then the Neo Geo was a hot dog with like all Everything. the trimmings and all of the toppings on it. They they sort of marketed themselves really well 
as this higher end thing. Sure. There was that ad with the uh, the older guy who looked like he was like 30 or 40 years old, uh, denying his sexy like lingerie wearing wife sex oh, because yeah. he was busy playing Cyberlip. <laughs> <laughs> there was that ad, and I think there were. Uh, a lot of like uh, there was a lot of mystique behind this system because so few people could afford it. Yeah. And do you remember those jumble or jumble esque uh, sweepstakes that were in every magazine back then? Oh yeah. Where yeah. it would have the, the uh, ultimate game, the ultimate game set up. Yeah. And uh, the Neo Geo was like always the final bullet point. Yeah. And like always up front in that stack, like right in front of the projection t- screen I, TV. I, I usually remember they'd have like the systems. Like, they'd have all the boxes for all the stuff, like, piled in, like, a like a Best Buy format. Right. Like, just like for set display. up like, real nice. And then they'd have all of the contents of the boxes, like, laid out in front of it. Right. And, yeah, I remember seeing, like, the giant Neo box with the it was huge. Neo Geo lettering on it. And it was huge. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that, like, represented... that To me, when I was little, I had this I had this perception of there being, like, games and then there were like adult games but oh, I don't yeah. mean like pornographic I just mean like games like older people play exactly and like the Neo Geo and the Turbo Graphics to me were like Adult. systems that adults played and I mean like if you look back on it why because uh, of that marketing mostly probably because it just yeah. seemed like this is what grown ups do they were trying to I mean like I think to, Turbo Graphics wasn't necessarily trying to but I think they got a lot of that because they were niche you know Right. Like, you only bought one if you knew what kind of games were coming out in Japan. Right. But, like, SNK, even, like, the form factor of their AES console, which was the home version of their MVS, was, like, markedly, like, less toy-like than yeah. anything else it to come like out It looks like a piece before. of, like, home theater equipment. Even today, it looks ridiculously cool. Yeah. Like, it looks like something out of Blade Runner, to me. Yeah, yeah. Some sort of tool he used to Do so, yeah, magnify yeah. something. Right. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Definitely. I, uh, in the, uh, so in the late, actually 1990s when the, the, the AES came out, it was originally intended for, uh, hotels to rent. Yeah. I guess and put in, put in rooms and suites. But eventually, after cust- enough customer interest, SNK quickly switched it to just being a, a home console for purchase. Yeah, so it came in this little, like, hotel unit that went under the TV. Right. Remember seeing pictures of it? Yeah. From the forums? Right. And, uh, I mean, it really looked like some jury-rigged thing that someone just, like, slapped Slap. together. <laughs> yeah. It was, like, by no means manufactured. It was, like, the console in a, in a glass box. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they were marketing it to hotels as, like, a, a solution for, like, video games yeah. in your hotel room. But what was really weird to me, and what's, all, what's still... A lot of people don't question this, but I do, and, and maybe just because a lot of people who are into the Neo more hardcore than I than I am which is not to, I'm not very but I'm appreciative of of the system and its games but there are people who play solely neo games still and are still embroiled in the in the community oh, yeah. of trading and buying and, and selling um, and they tend to be older maybe 10 year, 10 15 years older so at the time of the neo being out they were older obviously so maybe they had a better understanding but SNK's thing was that the games that came out for the MVS and the games that came out for the AES were the exact same game, just put in a different shell. Yeah. So there was no degradation of quality going from the arcade experience to the home experience. Right. Whereas a lot of ports 
on the Genesis, on the Super Nintendo, on the Nintendo, were ports of arcade games and were considerably the lesser right. because of the process involved. Right. So SNK was saying, you know, yeah, it's a six hundred dollar console in nineteen ninety, but you're paying six hundred dollars and then you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars or three hundred dollars to play Fatal Fury exactly as it would look in the yeah. arcade and you don't have to go there and you don't have to pump quarters into it all day yeah. and you own it and you can play it whenever you want to emphasize the importance of that I mean like how big was the arcade scene back then it was huge and like how common were arcade perfect ports and anything they didn't exist not, not to my knowledge yeah so like that's the only reason they could charge as much as they did I mean, the only time you play an arcade close to perfect port is if you were playing like Centipede on the Nintendo. Right, right. And it, and it was already a simple game to start with. Right. So it didn't have that far to go. But hearing that that's how the company sort of angled the product, to me, I don't feel like that would pertain... I feel like the number of people that bought a Neo Geo is precisely the number that we're ever going to, based on that message. Because if you tell somebody, hey, the game's exactly the same at home as it is in the arcade, I think a lot of people would go, I don't really care about that. You know, right. like, like, they don't really, they're, they're not into, they don't know what ports are. Right. They just kind of understand that Street Fighter 2 in the arcade looks a little better than Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo. Right. Because their mind says, well, that's in a big cabinet. Right. And this thing's on a little Super Nintendo, so... Like the correlation there is It's obvious. like if the PS4 came out and flaunted polygons right. on its actual television commercials. It's right. like its main marketing message was the amount of polygons it pushed. Right. Uh, right. Only the you know core market would even understand what that meant relative to right. the, the, rest the people of the that that were that that message was important to was small. Yeah. The number of people that that message was important to that had six hundred dollars to buy the console was even smaller. Yeah. So I feel kind of shot themselves in the foot from the get-go. But they were successful, arguably. I mean, not necessarily in the home market here or in the home market anywhere else, but I guess it might turn into one of those things where you consider, like, the cost of what they're selling versus how much they're selling it for times how many they sold. Yeah. Yeah, the production run is pretty low. And... Cons compared to a Super Nintendo or a Genesis. Exactly, yeah. So, and and... It was one of those things where they, they pretty much produced everything themselves, so... Almost like... I mean, the vibe their company... Their, their, their company, even at its largest and most company-like, uh, at least here in America, really reminded me of, like, a mail-order company. I mean, even... Yeah, yeah, yeah You know, yeah. like, even when I was, like, looking at their ads and seeing that they were really popular and, and, and getting all this respect from games journalists... There was still this vibe about them, like they were being run out of some like single-story um, business park, right? In behind a Wendy's, like, yeah. somewhere in New Jersey, where you have, you know, it's it just you would stumble into that place and find like a thousand AES cards, and it would blow your right. mind, <laughs> right? Right. So they may have been successful in that respect, but yeah, as and far as making a lot of money, that too, and then like it, my. Like I like I mentioned to you just a little bit ago, I remember being in KB Toys and seeing and vaguely knowing that a Neo Geo was something that existed in the world, and then seeing it in the in the store on the the upper shelf above the counter, <clears throat> like Babbage's used to put all their systems up to real high. Yeah. And I remember seeing that that huge Neo box, and they had a display 
I want to say that the, at least the one I went to had like a weird wall display where they would have like the the covers of the games, like the front and back cover, like in a plastic yeah display case. Sure. And you could just like look at all of the covers and backs of games because, like you said, they had them all behind the counter. Yeah, that sounds familiar. In, in a glass box or in a glass cabinet. And I remember being in there and looking at the back of like baseball stars and who knows what, probably like you know Super Baseball 2020. And, seeing the shot of, like, a humongous sprite that's taking up, like, 60% of the screen. Right. And, you know, being 10, I'm just like, this system must be amazing. Right. If it's the, if the characters are this humongous and it's this color. Exactly. And it was. And it was. And seeing it, like, $600, my dad's just like, that's never happening. And it sort of became this weird thing with my friends. I never knew anybody that had one growing up. And it became this weird thing of, like, man, if one of us got one, I got a new you. <laughs> right. That would be amazing, right? Because then we could all play it. And you could all contribute towards purchasing games. It, yeah, it was it was totally the like uh, radioactive book. man. Comic yeah, that's what I was just saying. It's like let's all pitch in and Keep get it at one. my house tonight. Yeah, let's all pitch in and get one. And obviously, it never happened. But it was like, as a child, SNK's role in my life as a gamer was basically that unattainable thing. Un- that mythical yeah. slash s- sort of self-contained entity, because. You know, the Neo Geo didn't have Mario games. It didn't have Sonic games. It didn't have yeah these games or these franchises that were known. It was a totally different universe. And even even as a kid, I'd understand. I understood that not every game on the Genesis was made by Sega. Yeah. And not every game on the Super NES was made by Nintendo. Right. I I mean I understood that. I just didn't really go like I only like Data East games, but I understood. The Neo was always like, man, who are these people that make these Neo games? Yeah. I don't see them anywhere else. Yeah. And then when, like, I would be in Blockbuster and not still have a firm grasp on the industry, and I would see, like, Samurai Showdown on the Super Nintendo, I'd be like, oh, my God, right. it's going to be just like the Neo, and it's not. It's, it's terrible. close, right. But, yeah, they had that status of, like, what's going on in that company? Like, who are they? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to explain, but I've, I've <laughs> thought about it for a while, and I, you know, there are certain people who, like, dig having to dig <laughs> for right. information. Sure. And it always ends up that those people and what they enjoy, they end up taking to heart yeah. more than anything else. Because it only it only follows logic that if you invest time and effort in seeking something out mm-hmm. beyond what everyone else does, right. you sort of form like an elitist attitude towards it. Sure. And that, I think, although it may sound, again, sort of esoteric, but... I think that was another thing that kind of bit the Neo Geo in the ass is it really became it's elite it's elite status turned I think a lot of its fans elitist sure and sort of bit it in the bit it bit it in the ass like I remember reading EGMs and we're talking about like I was really really into EGM it was before the internet the only way you could get any information on video games and e- right. and even then. Um, what you knew about the Neo Geo from the most hardcore gaming magazine out there was I remember if I'm if I'm correct the Neo Geo originally had like purple as the color in the review crew score. Do you remember how like the systems were color coded when they did the nine 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 reviews? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember every system was color coded and once every two or three months right, you yeah. would see the Neo's color. Right. And it meant that they reviewed a Neo game. And the Neo game reviews were always pretty fucking high. 
and pretty outlandish the things that they were saying. You know, like, this yeah. is one of the best games ever. Like, I remember the Samurai Showdown 2 review being one of the most... Yeah. Uh, that game was just I, praised to death. I, I remember, I've, and I could be wrong, but I'm almost sure that this is right, is looking at looking down the, the, the entries for the different editors. You know, like, you'd look, you'd, you'd open the page to the review section, and you'd sort of take it in as a whole, yeah. the spread. And then you'd sort of go down each game and look at them. Because you'd want to just see, like, all the nines, or who got what game got like nine straight down, or what right. game got like three straight down. Right. And I, it might not have been Samurai Showdown two, but it was probably. And I seem to remember looking at that page and like Sushi X's review. Right. They had to go like a point size smaller. Yeah. To fit everything yeah, he yeah, said yeah. about I it. I think you're he totally just, right. Like, he said so much shit about <laughs> it. I think you're and totally I, right. And as a kid, that's really funny. Sushi X was always like, if he likes it. I'm gonna like yeah, it. Yeah, Susie X was the hardcore son of a You're like, bitch. if I like it, or if he likes it, I'm probably going to like it. And he wrote so much about it, and I was just like, Man. He was the kid behind <laughs> some mystery. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you, I trusted him very much. So, yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. It, it was a font size smaller, specifically yeah. for that review. That's really funny. So, so there was this mystery and mythos behind the SNK name at this point. Right. And they released that AES console. Yeah. And some of the first games... In my opinion, not that impressive. Impressive for the time, but no. In but I mean, and that's fair to say because a lot of the first games for the AES were games that SNK had already developed for the arcades, right? And were not necessarily ports because they weren't ports, but they were just developed before they kind of like harnessed what they really had available to them, right? So, like you know, Baseball Stars, for instance, is not a very impressive-looking game. It's still a good game, or there's not that much depth or replayability to it for the home console. Sure. Or a game like, uh, I know this is going to bite a lot of people, but Magician Lord, I've, I've never enjoyed that game. And I know it's it, it's uh, dear to a lot of people because to a lot of people that was the game that came packaged in with their Neo Geo. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that they packaged... It was sort of like the SNK's attempt at a platformer because at the time what you did was package your home system with a platformer. Sure. And although they didn't have anything comparable, nor did they want anything comparable to Sonic or Mario... They right. still needed to sort of play that game with consumers, right? So, Magician Lord, <laughs> not so good, but but uh, pretty unique. And it took some time, I guess, for for them to develop their skill at programming for that system. Sure. Despite the fact that it was out for so long. Sure. Uh, I just remember seeing. I remember seeing Magician Lord at uh, in a in a. I think it was a two slot. Magician Lord and God probably Ghost Pilot, maybe. Yeah, that was another one. Uh, You're right. In a two slot at like Kiwanis Park, which is a wave pool here in Phoenix, and uh, it was in the back of like the the where the it was in the back of the little cafe where they had pizza and hot dogs and everything that like ten year old boys like, <laughs> and like you know nothing nutritious. No. And it's like go in the wave pool and flash around and get chlorine in your hair and then buy a hot dog. I remember seeing like magician. Get Lord. chlorine in the in the bun of the hot dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> and eat it regardless. It tastes funny. I don't care. Uh, God. Hot I remember. Dog I remember funny. seeing. I remember seeing, like that, like magician lord in games like it in the earlier early nineties. And thinking, even thinking then, like God, these looks this, not thinking of in these terms because I was too young, but. Like, man, if I played games like these all the time, 
I would be so mature, and I'd play, like, <laughs> cool games. Yeah, you know, it was another level, like, man. Like, I don't want to go home and play Sonic no, now. Man. I want to play this game, because this game looks rough. Yeah, it did. And, like, it did look It did look Amazing. Good. And, like, angry, and just, like, all these, like... I don't know. Just it was like the more. color palette. Yeah. And just the design choices that SNK and the developers that used SNK, or that published or put their games out on SNK systems, uh, they chose. It was just like a darker, more serious, I don't know if you want to say realistic at the beginning, but more gritty. Yeah. You know, it was like that generation's like Gears. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always look at, like, uh, not that this is really related, but I always look at, if you look at Ninja Gaiden in the arcade and you look at the NES port, yeah, and, it, and when you look at Ninja Gaiden in the arcade, it's almost like a totally different game. Right. Like, that's, like, the the different, the disparity there is, like, how I felt of, like, the games I could afford and play to what the Neo Geo offered. Right. And so they basically just sort of rode this niche, underground, hobbyist-level uh, wave for the majority of the 90s. And that was in the home front. Yeah. Meanwhile, the same system, roughly the same system in the arcade, was at that point, I think, right, competing with Capcom. Well, to me, and we next week we're going to talk about specific games and, and a lot of the milestone titles. So just because we get to the end of the, the history here and we didn't talk about Metal Slug in depth or anything like that, uh, doesn't mean we won't do it next week. But... Um, to me, I guess growing up, it was always sort of like SNK as a company was one always that what we've already talked about, like that mythical entity, but was also in my mind frame, my mindset was always sort of like second fiddle to Capcom or the Dark Horse. Yeah, and I don't mean second fiddle as an as an inferior, but it was sort of like Capcom was first, right, and then SNK was second. Because it was always the appearance was that SNK games were just derivatives of Capcom. Right. It's not the case, but that's just how it looked to like. Right. You know, when you have all when Capcom, when you're Capcom and you have Capcom money. Right. And you're on different systems and you have Street Fighter 2 just destroying the arcade. You know, someone wants to play Fatal Fury. It's like, why would I want to do that? I mean, the same feeling resonated with Sega or Super Nintendo and Sega. Sure. It's not the same thing, but those who are around at the time can understand that you felt the same way about SNK compared to Capcom as you did Sega compared to the Super Nintendo. Yeah. And it, it's it's actually kind of sad because SNK can say, well, the MVS system remained unchanged for the entirety of its existence. We never changed the hardware in it. Ever. We never did anything different to it. And all we did was just kept making better games for it until we hit a plateau with it like 12 years later. Right. And we just could not get any more out of it. But... That's really efficient from a standpoint of a business. Right. But to an American consumer, they'll play a Neo game on a on an MVS and just assume that that's what's in that, you know, like, oh, Lord, and I'm done with that game. But six months later, it could have been, you know, Alpha Mission 2 inside of there. Right. But they didn't go back to it because they just assumed it was Magician Lord. Yeah, sure. But when they walk into the arcade and they see a brand new cabinet from Capcom, right. it's a totally new game. It's obviously going to catch their eye. Right, right, right. There's and it that. wouldn't surprise me if that was sort of what happened. No, yeah, there is that as well. I guarantee there is that as well. There was, a, there was a stigma with... I mean, even, even today... Uh, or not even today, but I remember, not to jump too far ahead, but real quick, when we even went to see like SNK versus Capcom... We actually like had oh, to go yeah. to an arcade to play it. 
and uh, you know it's just there's a stigma with that cabinet that same looking red cabinet like in the middle of all these Tekken 6 or Tekken 5 at the time cabinets with giant speakers and even earlier in the arcade days when you had huge Street Fighter 2 white cabs with Q sound and yeah, all these yeah, bizarre, yeah. what the fuck was Q sound you didn't know but I guarantee it was cooler or was made to look cooler than that red cabinet that you usually find at the back of pizza places yeah so uh yeah, I mean, they had that going against them, but to make up for it, man, they made some pretty sick games. No, definitely. They definitely did. They had to. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's yeah. where that quality came from. Yeah. But, I mean, just sort of through the 90s, they, I guess you could say they, I mean, I guess I don't know internally business-wise, but they never really went away, and they always, they sort of just remained that, I'm never going to afford that yeah. level of gaming type. And... What's really interesting is if you look at a lot of the milestone titles in the in their library, right around the time that all of the CD-based formats or uh, game systems started coming out, like Saturn and PlayStation, a lot of the best games for that system didn't come out until after those systems were out. Like yeah, Metal you're right. Slug and like Mark of the Wolves. Metal Slug Three. Right, and like all of these amazing titles on this system, and it's just really weird to think about how. You know, the PlayStation basically split the industry in half. Yeah. In a way. And it's like, arcade started probably... That was probably the start of the death of the arcade. And SNK was founded as an arcade company. Right. Because even though the, the home... Even though the home releases were the same game, as far as I'm aware of, a lot of times the arcade release was... I mean, well, the arcade release was first. And then the home release came later. But that was probably more of a packaging thing. Right. You know, we have to get the labels printed for the the cards and the cover art and all that kind of stuff together. So there was still that sort of lag of, like, the arcade to us is primary. Right. And the home is secondary, although just as important. Right. So, uh, 90s, 90s in terms of a company, there's not a lot to talk about for SNK. No, I mean, most most of their... Their, their best games were put out during the 90s. Sure. But as far as what they put out hardware-wise, they put out the CD versions of their home consoles, mm-hmm. which almost aren't even worth talking about because they were, again, the same thing, but just with ridiculously long loading times. Right. I never had one of those. You did. Man. Yeah. They're just like the niche of a niche market. Right. It's like you, you can't really subdivide that niche anymore. Right. Um, making people pay a lot for these systems and not as much for the games but wait you know like two minutes to load right they just never they never scored or, or hit off in the United States and then uh, yeah it was pretty much just the AES the entire 90s and then when did the pocket come out that was the that's the like the very end that's a that was what I was going to get into next really it's still nine. it's still 90s but it's so late and it was such short lived it's, it's I mean it's a tragedy but right uh, no, the Pocket came out in 98 and was discontinued a year later uh, in 99 because the Pocket Color came out. And that lasted not even a year, I don't think, in terms of production. Run. And that was actually my first... That, to, that for me, was my first true introduction to, to SNK and the Neo Geo platform. I think me too. I think, I think me too. I was aware of it peripherally even right. then. And then... Uh, God, it might have been because of you. Because you had one. And Charlie saw it. And Charlie told oh, yeah. me about it. And then me and him bought two. Yeah. And bought Match of the Millennium. All because of that game, Match of the Millennium. Yeah. Oh, 
Unbelievable. And because he and like I, I or he bought one, or I don't remember how it worked out, but I remember I went to like uh, at the time it was still EB, and they had. I asked if they had one open, and they did, and I like I just messed around with it for a second, and like I hadn't had a handheld since the Game Gear. Right. And like I picked it up, and it was pretty light, and the screen was pretty was sharp, and like the stick was a stick and not a joystick or not a right. D-pad. And it was it like clicked, a CD. And it clicked. Oh, God. It had that, like, arcade, like, click to it's it. perfect. The buttons were, like, really snappy. Yeah. And we got matched in the Millennium, and I remember we bought the link cable. Yeah. And we ended up, like, just sitting across my each other at my kitchen table for, like, four hours playing that game after we bought it. Who'd have thought, man? A great <laughs> fighting game on a portable system. Only SNK, man. But even at this time, SNK was, as a company, dying. And it was yeah. very aware that it was dying. Uh, like, even those people who really dug the system and enjoyed the system and even loved the company, they sort of knew that this this move into the handheld market was a misstep. Because at the time, Nintendo was running its, its greatest fucking gauntlet down the industry with Pokemon. Right. I mean, the Pocket and the Pocket Color came out against Pokemon. Yeah. And the color versions of Pokemon. Right. So... I don't know if they were necessarily trying to ride that handheld market wave because they thought handhelds were the in thing Mm -hmm. and they just misread it wrong. But it seemed to me even when I was young, even at that age, I sort of stepped back and I was like, you're sort of like sending your troops to die (laughs) because no parents are going to be purchasing two systems for their kids. Which is sad because their, uh, uh, their misstep attempt, and I misstep in terms of it was just a bad move on their part. It's not a bad game. Their misstep attempt at Pokemon Card Fighters Clash is a great game. It's a great game. It's a really good game. And it's on a system that went nowhere. Yeah. And I do, I remember even when I when I bought mine, and there was like four games on the shelf, and it was King of Fighters R1, Match the Millennium, Card Fighters Clash SNK version. They didn't even have the Capcom version. Uh, and Sonic. Sonic. And I was like, this is it for this system. They still bought it. And I still bought it, and I bought it, I bought it the only color they had, which was uh, ice blue camouflage. Yeah, I had that one too. It was <laughs> just like the worst Terrible. color. <laughs> Terrible. And, uh, yeah, but I, even then I remember buying it, and I was like... I'm satisfied. I, I looked on the side of the box. I saw the, the SNK logo and like the Neo Geo pocket logo with that little scribbly P. And I was like... Oh, this company's still around, huh? Because they just basically right. like, vanished from my mind as a gamer for several years. Right. And uh, that, and then that eventually led into me talking to you more about the Neo, which led to me eventually buying an actual AES system. But as a company, they were essentially being mishandled very badly. Very badly, especially in America. Especially in America. And I think that's the time that the Barone family was under was ownership of them. And I can't comment too much. I don't think many people can, but. A lot of people basically speculate that at that point, either the either the Barone family just didn't know what they were doing, or were getting bad. We're getting being misinformed, and we're just making bad business decisions. Right, right. Because I remember the Pocket Color was almost. I had never heard of it, and as far as I knew, when I bought it, it had been out. However long it was out, let's say a year. Yeah. I bought it in the eighth month of its year. Right. It was already on the way out, and right. I was like, "It's been eight months, and I've never heard of this." Thing yeah. Before. No, it's their distribution channels were almost non-existent. Yeah. I mean, like the only place you'd find that system was at a place like GameZone. 
yeah. which you know is a hole in the wall used game store. And at that time, there still were such things, right? <laughs> but they were still rare even then. Yeah. And you know, Nintendo could pretty much push it to the side of every major retailer that it wanted to. And so it was. It was just again, like it. It can't be stressed how much of a misstep it was. But definitely. Regardless, it was like one of the best handhelds ever in terms of uh, control, quality, build quality, especially. Yeah. Uh, efficiency. Definitely. It was just, it, especially for the time, it was one of the most amazing handhelds there were. It's a good system. Um. So that's kind of the beginning of the end for them as SNK. In yeah. 2000, they were acquired by, uh, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's Aruz or if it's Ar- Aruze. I would assume it'd be Aruze because that's more of a Japanese pronunciation to me. Yeah, words I've never heard out loud. They were purchased, yeah, just right. They were purchased by Aruz. I'll just go with that, the horrible American butchering probably. Aruz, which is a patch slot company, a pachinko yeah. manufacturer. Uh, and I remember, I remember reading about it and a lot of people were just assuming that for the SNK would just be dissolved immediately mm-hmm. or be forced to, to manufacture only pachinko machines. Which fortunately wasn't the case, but essentially what happened is Aruz basically started making pachinko games with SNK characters. I mean, right. And licensed, you know, licensed characters. Um, now this was, for those who don't know, the pretty much... The, the death of SNK. This 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 marked the end of the company as anyone who was a fan knew it. And it marked the end of the output of really high quality SNK games, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, yeah, What do you think be... came out after that that was good? After 2000? There was one game that... There were two games that I think came out after that that were okay, and everyone else hates them. Wow. SVC Chaos, KOF 2001, everything yeah, else. 2001, I like. A 2001 lot. was really good, but I don't know how much of that was left over from whatever the company had sure. been doing prior. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been the highlights of yeah, and, and Metal Slug 3 was 2000, yeah. I think, or 99. Yeah. So or yeah, 98. Was, was it 98? I don't know. I'm thinking 98. My brain's going to 98. I don't know. One was 96. So if it was one oh, a year, okay. it was probably about right. Um. So yeah, they got sold off to Aruz, and it's not necessarily that they were dissolved, but Aruz basically took all the money, took most of the money they could from the funding of their game production and moved it into the pachinko right. half of their business. So SNK is basically now a patient on life support. Coupled with the fact that in 2000, uh, in 2000, and we'll cover more of this next week. In 2000, you had in the history of, of in the history of it. The, the biggest scandal of the Neo Geo uh, community in America. And that was the Neo Geo Freak destruction of, K- of KOF 2000. Right. And they basically destroyed the actual cover to the game and replaced it with their own. Right. Which they had done with several other games, but I will look this up for next week to be absolutely positively sure, but as far as I know, they they received the rights to distribute that particular title. Right. So they had the majority of stock for 2000. It was a situation where Neo Geo Freak was basically a company run by two numbskulls who <laughs> were fans of the system and wealthy enough to somehow acquire distribution rights to a title. Mm-hmm. Now, if you could imagine that ever happening today, 
And we're not talking about a business here. We're talking about a couple people. Who this is them, this, this is, is like podcast. This is the mail order company behind a Wendy's in a business park. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. This is like us publishing a game. It, right. It, it, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> right. Uh, or you wouldn't think it happened. But it did, and uh, in the process of distributing it to make a name for themselves, they chose to basically destroy the original art mm-hmm. by ruining it, marking it with them with their own mark. This just goes to show you how poorly managed SNK brand was in America. Just yeah, the, the fact that the company would hand over one of their last, at the time, uh, properties right. to this company to distribute, who, it cannot be stressed enough, was not a legitimate company or organization. Well, that, well, that into the point that you can have a company who, quote-unquote, a company, a, I don't know, operation, that would more or less position themselves as SNK of America, which they didn't in name, but their behavior they was were trying that, to. you know, this is not the cover. This is the cover. Right, and also... Is, you know, this is our branding. Also, what these guys, literally two guys, started to do was... <laughs> Well, they purchased a lot of the back stock of SNK games mm-hmm. at this time. And they basically started stamping and stickering all of the original artwork with their logo and their name and their quote-unquote company, Neo yeah. Geo Freak. Yeah. And to everyone in the community who's anyone, regardless of whatever you might hear, games with these markings have pretty much lost all of their value. Yeah. You can't even literally you can you can honestly barely give them away. You wouldn't even want to because then it signifies you own one at some point. Yeah, exactly. People and who like... act and, and the thing is this sort of this whole thing that occurred was such a such a disaster to the community because there were people who did not know that this was going on mm-hmm. and who were purchasing these games and selling them later on to people without knowing that they were quote unquote these freaked copies let alone sold at inflated well, sold at inflated prices yeah. and so these freaked copies were getting distributed and, and sold to people who didn't want them but were unaware and it's just like a virus yeah it was really that weird. thankfully couldn't reproduce yeah <laughs> And it's just lost out there somewhere yeah. in the middle of all these cartridges in these people's homes. We'll definitely talk more about that uh, next week when we basically describe the war of Dion versus Sean. Yeah. That's essentially what it boiled down to. Yeah. Uh, so in the in the early 2000s, SNK in America is practically non-existent. And for a time, uh, they were. And they officially closed their doors, I believe it was either in 2002 or 2003, um, as SNK close their doors and uh, October 22, 2001 they filed for bankruptcy and uh, a lot of the employees left SNK and formed the developer Brezisoft who is notable for having actually in the ensuing years come back and develop some games for SNK Playmore at the time boy these names I have not thought about them in a while Brezisoft that's really funny um that's really funny. Yeah, yeah. So eventually the company disbanded in, in 2001. Uh, at that time, a lot of the games that had been in development or were planned to go into development were given to other companies, uh, like Eolith, who did 2001 and 2002 King of Fighters. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Mega Enterprise, who did Metal Slug 4, and Noise Factory, who did Sengoku 3, and then Rage of the Dragons uh, after that as well. Yeah, and at this time, there were always... 
these home versions of these games were always uh, there were Japanese versions and American versions. Mm -hmm. The only discernible difference between the two being the stickers and labels, right, on the carts and the inserts of the uh, cases that they were contained in, mm -hmm. and. Um, they actually, these newer games, even after SNK going under, were continued to uh, be distributed in America through NeoGeo.com. Yeah. Which was basically just a fan site turned into a storefront. Yeah. By basically a few people. Mm -hmm. One man, necessarily. Right. Um, Sean McCleskey, right? Yeah. Okay. And uh, so there was a form of distribution for these games and their quote-unquote American versions. Right. Even though this company didn't exist but, but in America. But just like you just said, imagine how bad things would have to be for... Exactly. No offense to Sean. He's an upstanding, amazing guy. Right. He's but, contributed a lot to the community. But, but for but. a company to rely on a man out of his home to be the distribution the center of their product of in their the country. Product. Exactly. Exactly. That's just... I mean, it's amazing how far the company fell. Yeah. And fell. I mean, it fell right out of existence, but... Um, didn't cheapen the prices, though. No, <laughs> no. The year previous to SNK uh, closing its doors and filing for bankruptcy, the the original founder uh, Akichi uh, Kawasaki left the company and founded Playmore, who then in 2002 uh, filed to or bid for the intellectual rights for SNK. Basically, bought back his company because. It's kind of weird to think about it because I never looked at the history very closely until we were going to do this podcast. But it's essentially, it's not unlike situations that have happened here in America recently where a company has run so poorly that the people who founded, founded it found it, leave it only to come back and buy it back or buy back mm -hmm. what their creation. Right. You know, it would not be unlike the, the Infinity Ward guys right. successfully purchasing the Call of Duty franchise. So, I mean, it, it, it's just that since we're removed geographically, physically by an ocean, these events have less of an impact on you right. a little bit. But it is pretty interesting to, to hear that, you know, this guy, this president, had all the best intentions for his game company and was basically just taken from him right. through a series of bad ideas or misinformation. Mismanagement. Uh, so in like 2002, 2003, there, were, there was a lot of consolidation going on. Playmore... You know, re uh, obtained the intellectual rights for SNK properties, rebranded themselves SNK Playmore, purchased Brezosoft, who's now an internal developer uh, at uh, at SNK Playmore, and they're they're actually SNK and Neo Geo Corporation, which is a, a weird rename, I suppose. Right. But yeah. I mean, I guess they just really like all the names they came up with. Um, so now, but I think they're all they're basically consolidated under SNK Playmore, who. When the, I remember when this when SNK Playmore sort of reared its head, a lot of people had a lot of anger over this, and I guess they just didn't like the fact that what they had stuck with for so long was different. Right. You know. And going back really quick, I remember reading about when SNK closed and having that sort of tangential experience with their products and their games over so many years. I still felt really bad because they they were a company and they still are for the most part. A company that represents classic arcade, 16-bit, 
pixelated gaming. More so than any other company, I think. Sure. Involved yeah. in the industry ever. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, Capcom's done a lot, but SNK felt just that era. That era of being in a pizza shop, eating yeah. terrible, greasy pizza, yeah. and hearing the din of an arcade. To me, it's SNK. For a lot of people, it's a lot of other companies. Yeah, no. To me, the SNK joystick was always greasy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of the only things. Interestingly I can enough, the SNK joysticks that come with the uh, or that are for the Neo Home System uh, are the are two and a half inches tall and the size of a, a piece of uh, printer paper. 11 inches wide and 8.5 inches deep. Really? Isn't that huge? They're yeah, that they're, big. They're gigantic. They're gigantic. I just thought that was really interesting. I don't remember They're it almost as big. big as the system. Yeah, that is Which true. Which has a big footprint itself. Yeah. So I do. I remember being, and they released that in that wallpaper that's out there. You can still download a lot of places. Which like their farewell had all their characters on it and everything. Right. I remember even... I remember not, downloading that when it came out and feeling sad. Yeah. I remember downloading it because I was like, I should probably have this. Yeah. For no real reason other than like, man, this is... I know I recognize this as the end of a long era yeah. of, a, of a company. And it really was. Um, Everything after. Yeah. Since then, uh, you know, they kind of... It's been nothing but... You know, I guess everything's been on the up for them since then. Uh, they Financially. Financially, yeah. Maybe not creatively. Um, in 2002, SNK Playmore successful. Well, I guess they were not... They were still Playmore at the time, but... Uh, successfully sued uh, Aruz for f infringing on copyrights and got a bunch of money out of that. Uh, they settled a lot of issues with this rampant piracy and Neo Geo freaks and a, lot, a couple other companies uh, in 2003, 2000, and uh, got a lot of their own stock back, which had been sitting in warehouses or whatever, right. somebody's home, I guess. Um, <laughs> and then basically from from 04 to now, it's been a series of. Uh, jumps from different platforms. I mean, for a long time, they were... There was a big thing that they were developing for the Atomus Wave. Right, like, and that people, was supposed and to be people, And people lost their shit over that. Yeah, that was, like... I remember for a long time that supposedly being the spiritual successor to the MVS. Right. As far as uh, arcade hardware goes. Right. Because it was... Uh, well, basically, it was, like, a more technologically ad advanced cartridge system. Sure. And uh, SNK developing their first KOF game for it, I remember, being a really big deal. I remember it was a big deal, too, because a lot of uh, fans of SNK, you know, they hear it's going to be on the you know, Thomas Wave, which is Sammy's right. proprietary format, and Sammy, if you don't know, is the, not you don't know, but anybody listening doesn't know, uh, is the developer behind the Guilty Gear series. Right. And the thought of, I know to a lot of diehard Neo fans, the thought of SNK games being on the console from the company who makes Guilty Gear is like repulsive. Yeah. Just the, that association. And then they went from the Atomus Wave and then they started developing for the uh, the Taito X2 platform. Right. A couple years ago. And they've turned out a couple titles on, on that hardware as well. The thing is, and it's, it's, it's hard to explain here, but uh, pretty much everything after that goodbye wallpaper everything quality-wise that right. they put out was has just not been up to standards. Right. It's also not the same. I mean, I'm leaving out a lot of I'm leaving out a lot of talk of their home ports. Right. Of which there are several. Right. But for the most part, I mean, it, it's such an asshole thing to say, but if someone's like, "Yeah, I played KOF 98." I'm like, "Did you play it on an AES?" and they're like, "No." I'm like, "Then you didn't really play it." Then you haven't played it, right? It's such an asshole elitist attitude, but there's something about 
playing those games on a platform other than what they were naturally developed for. Right. Those in particular, I mean, there's a lot of games. Quality of the ports, there are some good ports. Uh, and I guess it could just be the fact that I've had the, and you and I have had the experience of owning that. You know, I guess if I had ever owned NBA Jam, the arcade cab, and then played it on my Super Nintendo, I'd be like, this is ridiculous. Right. But, you know, there was a time where I had the... Not really. I had cash and blew it on Neo games. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> and yeah. people, and you know, it's like, oh man, I played, I played '98 on the Dreamcast, or I played '99 on the Dreamcast, and then you play it on the the the, uh, the, the a AES or MBS, and there's just it's absolutely different. There's no comparison. Something that can't be translated. That's probably why I'm not really. I'm purposely not really talking about any of the home. Even the. Uh, you think even by today they'd have it together, but I can't play the ports on XB, XBLA. I can't play them. They're terrible. And that's got, something that that I don't think. I don't. I don't understand. It can't really be translated or experienced by anyone who wasn't there or has not owned an AES system. And again, that sounds elitist, like you said, but I, I don't know what it. What is so difficult about translating that experience to, <laughs> you know, even. I've seen great I've seen great emulation on Xbox. Sure. And great emulation on PS3. And I don't know what it is, but SNK games have 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 failed to been failed to be realized as they were originally in any emulation or any prepackaged PS2 collection or Xbox collection or PSP collection. Mhm. It's uh it's hard to or hard to uh, explain that translation process and what's lost in it but it's there yeah and I mean and it's it's sad because the you know times they are a changing so the year that you and I went to the first E3 our first E3 was it that year or was it the year after it was the year after the second one we went to 2005 they had announced Maximum Impact 3D King of Fighters and people just could not believe that it had happened. Right. Because for a long... And they still are. They're still churning out the two-dimensional King of Fighters, but they're... They're not... They're not good they're in not. any way. Uh, and people were losing it because it's like... The only 3D bef- to prior to that had been the Neo Geo 64 and the Samurai Showdown title and the few games that came out for that. Yeah, Burger And those are just sort of like a... Just forget about those. We'll just sweep those under the rug and never talk about them again. But interestingly enough, those games, I would argue, are probably better gameplay-wise than these games that are coming out now. For the 64 ones? Yeah, the Hyper Neo Geo, which I guess we somehow glossed over, unfortunately. I glossed... Because it's just like a... It's, to it's, me, it's really, a footnote. It's, it's worth... I guess it's worth noting. But. Yeah. Um, anyway, their, their uh, earlier 3D attempts or earlier attempts at 3D games are way better than the shit they're putting out now. Samurai Word on the Streets is... Not so hot. Not so hot. Maximum Impact. It was well made as far as the graphics engine goes. Sure. But as far as the fighting engine goes, it was not very fun at all. Pretty terrible. Yeah. Maximum Impact and everything else they put out, King of Fighters-wise, has been more so, or has been recycled more sure. so than any other Sure. They should have just iteration. stopped the Wild Ambition. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they didn't. Um... Yeah, so, I mean, this, this, the state of the company today is, I mean, they're putting out, they just announced, God, what did they just announce, 13? They're putting out bad they're not, games, They're not basically. even doing years now? Is it 13 now? Yeah, they're coming out with 13. Does it make any sense? Because they couldn't keep up the yearly schedule, I guess? Know when to quit. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> know when to quit. Take a lesson from Seinfeld. 
don't pull a X file season nine again. I'll reference that every time <laughs> we talk about something that's lived well beyond its years. Uh, <laughs> just so know like when to quit. A two word review of King of Fighters twelve is just Agent Doggett. Agent like, Doggett. <laughs> like, Figure that one out. Stop making them. Yeah, I mean it's. Um, I guess I'm not. I guess I don't know how I feel about it. I mean I don't really I don't buy any of their new products. So I guess I don't know if I would have preferred the company to have the, to have just died and remained dead since 2001, or if I'm glad to just keep seeing SNK even though they're still they're putting out not so great stuff. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I guess I'm just kind of ambivalent at this point. I'm far enough removed from the situation at this point where it doesn't matter anymore. Probably that's probably the case. So. Yeah. So next week we will uh, we'll talk about some games on the Neo. The games for the Neo. We'll talk about the milestones. We'll talk about our favorites, which may or may not be the milestones. Um, and Cyberlip. Cyberlip will definitely be discussed. Uh, and Mutation Nation will definitely be discussed. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of games will be discussed. So, um, and then we'll also go in and talk about the uh, the I guess not really the future of the company because it doesn't look right. Uh, I guess we'll talk about Sky Stage. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and we'll talk more about the community and just get a little more in-depth as to the history of the Neo and the, the, the tumultuous events that happened toward the end of the 90s and into the 2000s that uh, sort of just broke the company in half. Not even... Not, and then just their presence in America and the way it was viewed. And yeah. Basically, is the a, most interesting uh, things that happened to this company happened within the small community of fans. And I was thinking about it the other day and it's like, you know... Yeah. Exactly. That's so, funny. You didn't hear all that just now, so I'll edit that. I really will cut that out because that is still a really interesting idea. It is. No, it is. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk next week more about games specifically and uh, and whatever comes out of that and we'll talk more about the, the community that surrounds the, the system uh, now and then. And uh, that'll do it for us this week. If you found this podcast anywhere other than the site that it's located on and you want to know more about us or listen to some past ones or see the uh, few and far between news posts we care to make, go ahead and direct your browser to www.podcast1980x.com. Or if you wish to email us, you can email us at podcast1980x at gmail.com. Do you even check that email? I do. Because I, I, it dawned on me a couple weeks ago that no, I, I don't, and really for all I know, someone has emailed us, and we've just been totally no, I, I, dick about it. Not even. I check it. <laughs> um, yeah. al- also, uh, if you like our podcast and the things we talk about, you should follow our Twitter at twitter.com slash podcast1980x. Because, you see, what I do there is basically <laughs> scrounge the internet and dig through all the shit like NeoGAF. Yeah pour through the NeoGAF threads to find the interesting things and post them on there so you don't have to deal with that ridiculousness. You don't, have to, you don't have to get through a 70-page thread to find that one post you saw last week and can't remember it anymore. Exactly. That yeah. forum moves too fast for anyone to follow. So instead, just follow our Twitter. Anything of substance, Definitely. it'll be posted on there. Definitely. Moves too fast. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to put your Twitter again? No. No? I'm going to talk about my blog. I'm going to do something else with it. I had an idea the other day I'm going to do something with. Burn it. Uh, that. Burn it to the ground. That'll do it for us this week, as always. Oh, and give us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. Good or bad. I don't really care. 
Fuck you. Give us a bad review. <laughs> At least there'll be one there. <laughs> be more than two. Uh, so as always, thanks for listening. Bye.